Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Well, you just heard from Michael Warner, and now his colleague joins us, Peter Eisenhard. He's a senior research scientist at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He received NASA's Exceptional Scientific Achievement Medal for his work on the Spitzer Space Telescope as well. Peter, it's an honor to have you on the program. Thank you, George. I'm glad to be here. And you two started off, I bet, as a kid loving space, didn't you? I did. I actually was born uh, a couple of weeks before the Sputnik launch in 1957. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was sort of programmed to be interested in space, I guess, from, from, from childhood. Um, I, I just always knew I wanted to explore the universe, and uh, it just seemed like, you know, what else is there to do? I was a little kid during Sputnik, and I remember, though, everybody panicking. My parents panicking, everybody panicking. This thing was only the size of a basketball, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a lot heavier than a basketball, um, and a, a little bit bigger, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not that big. And, and I guess there was a lot of fear about what else would the Russians be able to do to us. And, uh, and of course this led to the rapid growth of, uh, of NASA and the space program. And, uh, I was caught up in that as I think most people in the country were. And in the end, it turned into a an exciting time for the whole world when Neil Armstrong finally touched down uh, just 50 years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. How did you make your way to JPL? I came to JPL uh, from from Ames Research Center in, in the Bay Area. Um, I was working on Spitzer there with, with Mike Warner, who, who we heard from earlier, and I guess Mike's going to be back a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, being interested in, in astronomy as a kid, uh, I studied it in college, and uh, a- after uh, after doing my undergraduate work in Philadelphia and uh, a year off in, in England. Um, I went to graduate school in Arizona where the skies are really clear and, and big telescopes work well. And then I went to work on on Spitzer with Mike at, uh, at Ames uh, in 1987. And then a few years later, NASA decided that uh, Spitzer, uh, which was then called CERTIF, uh, would be better built by JPL than, than by Ames. And, and so Mike and I... Uh, came down here in 1990 with it, and uh, we've been there ever since. That's fantastic. Now, today, I'm told that you were, last night, you were at the Palomar Mountain area looking through its 200-inch telescope. That's right. Yeah, it was uh, up till about 6 a.m. this morning, so uh, <laughs> if I nod off a bit, please excuse me. Well, what were you looking at? I was studying infrared uh, stars, basically. So w- stars uh, shine because of the the heat that is being generated in their cores by, by nuclear fusion. It's like there are fusion bombs going off all the time in the middle of stars. Uh, but if you make a star that's less and less massive, uh, less than, say, 8% of the mass of the sun, those fusion reactions can't really get going. And so uh, a, a puny star like that, 8% or less of the mass of the sun, will shine for a while in visible light just from the heat of its collapse, but then there's no, no fusion to replace that, that light that's um, radiating outward, and so it will cool off. And as it cools off, um, less and less visible light comes out, um, and, and it's really only detectable in infrared light. And so what I was looking at was, was candidates for very, very small failed stars, basically maybe one percent of the mass of the sun or maybe even a half a percent of the mass of the sun where you could only pick them up in infrared light um so these are these are called brown dwarfs and uh we were doing infrared measurements 
from the ground with with the Palomar telescope and uh, and trying to measure those brown dwarfs to see how far away they were and how hot they were. What would you say is the most exciting thing that Spitzer has found for us? Well, I think there's probably no contest uh, with the the Trappist One system that Michael mentioned uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just an amazing system of of planets around another star, you know, seven planets, um, Earth-sized, and several of them uh, at the distance from their star where, where liquid water is, is possible on their surface. So habitable planets uh, only 40 light years away from Earth, that's, that's pretty exciting. And, in fact, the New York Times had that on their front page. So that, that's, I think, without question, number one. But, but for me... I'm I'm more into the distant universe, um, and so I I get quite excited about the uh, the very distant stuff. And you were asking Michael about that: how far away could we see? Yeah, and and yeah. so there's there's a galaxy that Spitzer has studied that is um, it's 97 percent of the way back to the Big Bang. It's way way far back, and so it's just amazing to me that that we can pick up light from that early in the history of the universe and, and see what was going on that, that far back in the history of the when, universe. When we talk, Peter, about the universe, our universe being 13.5 billion years old, why isn't it 20 billion years old? Well, <laughs> the why is a tough question. I know it. Um, I, I guess I, I don't have a strong opinion or an informed answer for you on that. I, I'm more interested in seeing the way things are than in saying why they would have to be that way. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a time not so many years ago when astronomers thought the universe was about 20 billion years old, uh, and that's just from measuring the rate of expansion and then going backwards, saying, well, when when was all of that stuff together in the same place? And the rate of expansion that we thought we was correct at that time, worked out to everything being in the same place 20 billion years ago, but we've now measured that much, much more accurately. And so the the answer today to within about a percent of accuracy is, is about 13.7 to 13.8 billion years. Isn't it amazing, though, to try to think how it all started? I mean, things just don't happen. I mean, there's reason and there's there's organization, there's... There's order to these things, and it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? It it certainly is mind-boggling, and and you know it's easy for uh, those of us who work with these vast uh, distances and times to kind of forget how incredible the uh, the subject is, uh, the universe is. Uh, I mean, life is certainly amazing as well. I I would argue that uh, if there were not life and the universe didn't exist, we wouldn't be asking the question. So that that's not not really a good answer. Um, I, I certainly don't rule out the existence of God. I think that's up for everybody to decide for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. But it's regardless of whether there's some omniscient being out there who's making it all happen, regardless of, of the why, it is still an amazing universe, and that's what excites me is how how amazing the universe well but but even if there's a being like god that made this happen how did god start (laughs) exactly (laughs) right so you know we have a quote in our book um uh it's it's called uh some people i think have have uh, heard of a song called uh turtles all the way down so Mm -hmm. so uh 
you know, there's it, it, a little quote that starts a, a chapter uh, about galaxy clusters, which is is uh, area of astronomy I, I particularly work on, and and uh, it starts off by saying, uh, well, this little old lady says to uh, William James, who had just given a, a a lecture on astronomy, says your theory that uh, the universe is uh, is 13.7 billion years old and that the Sun is on the outskirts of a galaxy is very interesting, Mr. James, but I have a better theory. And and he asks, well, what's that? He says, well, we are on the back of a turtle. And, oh, well, that's very interesting, but what what does this turtle stand on? Well, that turtle stands on a larger turtle. Huh. And, and, well, uh, that's very interesting, uh, but what does this larger turtle stand on? Yeah, that's right. On? It and, generates and, another question. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm way ahead of you, Mr. James. It's turtles all the way down. So... So you know, it, either way, uh, it, it's really a philosophical problem. Either way, it's it's hard to answer. You know, if there's a beginning, what was there before the beginning? Or if the universe is endless, you know, how can that be? It, and you know, I think our minds aren't quite capable of of wrapping around all this. Uh, we can speculate, but we are coming up with with new discoveries all the time, and and we are learning more and more. Uh, that we never would have expected, and, and sometimes we're realizing that we're not even asking the right question. I would say, Peter, what will technology do for us that we don't even know exists today? I mean, how far will we gain knowledge beyond where we are today, let's say 50 years from now? Well, that, that's, uh, that's uh, another great question, George. 50 years from now, I would expect that we will know about life beyond the Earth. Uh, I, I think it's very likely we will know that. And, and that will be probably as exciting as any discovery ever made, to know that we aren't alone. Uh, that, that's, that's my prediction. You can ask me again. Of course, with this program, we already believe they've been here. But you know what? Scientifically, I'd like to find out for sure. Yeah, I, uh, life is... Uh, Life is surprising, and you know we're still discovering new forms of life right here on Earth. Yeah. Uh, life, life is going to surprise us beyond the Earth too. But our technology is advancing so so greatly, uh, and people really want to know. They really want to know, not just not just from uh, a faked photograph or something like that. They want to know for sure: is is there life outside the Earth? And and I think we know, partly because of Spitzer, that it's very, very likely. We know that there are chemicals that are similar to those in our own solar system and other solar systems. Uh, we know that the structure of those other solar systems is not that different from from ours in some cases. We know that there are planets where water can exist around other stars. Um, it won't be too long before I think we're, we're detecting liquid water around stars uh, around planets, on planets around other stars. So, th- you know, this is this is something that taxpayers want to know. This is something NASA is working on. This is something astronomers are working on. And and I think the way we're going, we're, we're going to have the answer before very long. And I think, Peter, that the primordial soup, which made up us, is probably the same throughout the universe. I think the similarities are endless out there where... Other planets may have the same elements. I don't think there's going to be anything specifically different. I think it's all the same. What do you think? Yes, I, I agree with you, George. There's there's actually good evidence for that. Uh, one of the things that we've learned from the from the spectra that Spitzer has taken is that there is uh, 
Oh, a not very glamorous molecule, um, which is a lot like the soot you get from a barbecue. Uh, and, and there's lots of those soot particles um, in other galaxies, uh, and, and including in galaxies that are billions of light years away. Uh, and, and so the, we, we know the chemistry is similar in galaxies far, far away early in the history of the universe. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the chemistry is there, and the planets are there, the stars are there, and, and so life is probably there, too. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.